Well, good morning. Well, it's been a unique month of ministry here at Skyview Church, and I think I feel a little especially out of the loop because I was away for a week, uh, a vacation, and then serving at Camp Armand for a week. But uh, even for, for all of us, uh, we've had a bit of a, a different season of, of services. Uh, this past uh, month, we did the uh, Skyview picnic, and so uh, we didn't have our, our regular worship service that week. And then last week, of course, was our... Well, the week previous was the Skyview Reaching Out Mission Service. And then uh, last week we hosted our neighborhood for a stampede breakfast. Uh, the, the breakfast really was a communal effort, and uh, I really did uh, want to commend our congregation and, uh, members just for pitching in. I, I would conservatively guess, I, I didn't actually do a count, but I would conservati- conservatively guess that over 50 of our people uh, pitched in to serve and to prepare and hand out flyers and, and run uh, games, welcome our neighbors, and uh, we haven't done a, a firm count. Uh, we're going to go and count the plates to find out how many people attended, but, uh, how, uh, uh, but it was roughly 500 of our neighbors that came last week. We had great weather, and so thanks for pitching in. Uh, this past week, I was uh, serving at our camp, Camp Harmattan. Um, and it was grade five, six camp. And uh, we uh, had, oh, I don't know, five or six uh, members from our church that were serving either as staff or campers uh, this week. And uh, we have our own Trent McDowell, who's uh, serving as the director of the, the spiritual program at Camp Armatton this summer. And I just wanted to continue to encourage uh, us to remember the camp in our prayers this summer. Uh, remember the students in our prayers. Uh, junior high camp runs this week, and I, I know a, a number of our um, people are serving as campers and as staff this week. And so keep them in your prayers. I was given the opportunity to serve as the, the pastor speaker, and uh, despite some of the unique uh, f- facility challenges that Hermat and staff are dealing with this year, it was a, a great week. Uh, we had good weather, uh, uh, great staff. And uh, probably the most exciting thing is a whole row, uh, 12 or 13 kids accepted uh, Christ for the first time. And uh, I can't say, you know, I've preached hundreds of times now in, my, uh, in church services, and, and I, uh, I can't say that that has happened in, in many of my church services. Uh, camp is a special time uh, and, and a special opportunity for uh, sharing the gospel and I think one of the reasons I mentioned that is uh, I was excited to see our youth. Uh, we had uh, four of our youth serving as uh, counselors at camp this week, Jake and Zach and Alana and Rachel. And uh, they were there lining up with these kids and, and praying for them as uh, these kids were becoming Christians, giving their life to Jesus. Uh, the scripture theme for the summer at Camp Harmattan for the week of kids camp was the book of Daniel. And uh, since I was at camp all week and I had to give seven mini-sermons from Daniel, I decided it would make good sense to uh, stick with that theme for our service this morning. Uh, And and, uh, since uh, since sending out the the scripture information for the bulletin, I did decide to change my passage. I had to send that out before I went away for camp. And uh, So I thought maybe Daniel chapter 1, but I decided uh, after the week that I'd go with Daniel chapter 6. And so uh, the write-up in the bulletin with the scripture is going to be no help to you, but it is on the uh, screen. 
And uh, so you can follow along there. Uh, I'm going to read from the message translation this morning. Uh, It's a well-known story that um, you probably learned as a child. Uh, One of the the stories we love to teach is Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, The background to the story is that Israel's kingdom, Jerusalem, was conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Uh, The Babylonians conscripted some of Israel's best and brightest young men to Babylon uh, to be trained uh, to serve in the king's household, uh, to give the king unique advice and wisdom regarding governing governing the Jewish people to help the king uh, uh, know of the Jewish customs and things that would upset the Jewish people. Uh, So these young men were were invited to apprentice for three years to, to learn the Babylonian language and culture. And uh, if they made the cut, they would work in, in the, the royal kingdom. Uh, they faced pressure to embrace the Babylonian culture uh, so they could serve in positions of prominence in the empire. Uh, reading the, the book of Daniel again, uh, it made me think of the Hunger Games. Uh, if you're familiar with that, the movies and the books. As, as a contemporary analogy of a powerful and oppressive regime fighting to maintain its authority over an empire of slaves. Uh, The book of Daniel introduces us to four of these young men uh, taken as as exiles. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The last three uh, are more commonly known uh, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, These young men were renowned for their courage in faithfully keeping their religious convictions in a foreign an often hostile empire. So Daniel chapter 6, let me read for us. Darius reorganized his kingdom. He appointed 120 advisors to administer all parts of his realm. Over them were three vice regents, one of whom was Daniel. The governors reported to the vice regents, who made sure that everything was in order for the king. But Daniel, brimming with spirit and intelligence, so completely outclassed the other vice regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. The vice regents and governors got together to find some old scandal or skeleton in Daniel's life that they could use against him. But they couldn't dig up anything. He was totally exemplary and trustworthy. They could find no evidence of negligence or misconduct. So they finally gave up and said, we're never going to find anything against this Daniel unless we can cook up something religious. The vice regents and governors conspired together and then went to the king and said, King Darius, live forever. We've convened your vice regents, governors, and all your leading officials and have agreed that the king should issue the following decree. For the next 30 days, no one is to pray to any god or mortal except you, O king. Anyone who disobeys will be thrown into the lion's den. Issue this decree, O king, and make it unconditional, as if written in stone like all the laws of the Medes and the Persians. King Darius signed the decree. When Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, he continued to pray, just as he had always done. His house had windows in the upstairs that opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he knelt there in prayer thanking and praising his God. The conspirators came and found him praying, asking God for help. 
They went straight to the king and reminded him of the royal decree that he had signed. Did you not, they said, sign a decree forbidding anyone to pray to any god or man except you for the next 30 days? And anyone caught doing it would be thrown into the lion's den? Absolutely, said the king, written in stone like all the laws of the Medes and the Persians. Then they said, Daniel, one of the Jewish exiles, ignores you, O king, and defies your decree. Three times a day he prays. At this, the king was very upset and tried his best to get Daniel out of the fix that he'd put him in. He worked at it the whole day long. But then the conspirators were back. Remember, O king, it's the law of the Medes and the Persians that the king's decree can never be changed. The king caved in and ordered Daniel brought and thrown into the lion's den. But he said to Daniel, Your God, to whom you are so loyal, is going to get you out of this. A stone slab was placed over the opening of the den. The king sealed the cover with his signet ring and the signet rings of all his nobles, fixing Daniel's fate. The king then went back to his palace. He refused supper. He couldn't sleep. He spent the night fasting. At daybreak, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. As he approached the den, he called out anxiously, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve so loyally, loyally saved you from the lions? O king, live forever, said Daniel. My God sent his angel, who clothed, closed the mouths of the lions so that they would not hurt me. I've been found innocent before God and also before you, O king. I've done nothing to harm you. When the king heard these words, he was happy. He ordered Daniel to be taken out of the den. When he was hauled up, there wasn't a scratch on him. He had trusted his God. Then the king commanded that the conspirators who had informed on Daniel be thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. Before they hit the floor, the lions had them in their jaws, tearing them to pieces. King Darius published this proclamation to every race, color, and creed on earth. Peace to you, abundant peace. I decree that Daniel's God shall be worshipped and feared in all parts of my kingdom. He is a living God, world without end. His kingdom never falls. His rule continues eternally. He is Savior and Rescuer. He performs astonishing miracles in heaven and on earth. He saved Daniel from the power of the lions. From then on, Daniel was treated well during the reign of Darius and also in the following reign of Cyrus the Persian. The word of the Lord. Well, one of the, the first things you'll notice about this passage is that uh, politics hasn't uh, changed very much in uh, 2,600 years. Uh, Daniel, though technically he was uh, a slave, uh, you know, he had arisen to a, a prominent place in a foreign empire. Uh, it reminded me of the story of Joseph and, and Joseph in Egypt uh, rising to number two in the land. And, and Daniel has a similar narrative. He rises out of turmoil uh, to a place of prominence. And we see again and again in politics that uh, when someone rises to a position in power, it doesn't matter which party they're a part of, which affiliation they have, uh, when they have a prominent place in leadership, there are others who are usually jealous 
uh, parties eager for an opportunity to expose uh, weakness. And, uh, I, you know, while it's a good thing that corruption is exposed and corrected, it would be nice if, if government also prioritized doing productive things as opposed to just uh, fighting each other, uh, conspiring against their opponents. Uh, when the other officials hear that Daniel is going to be promoted ahead of, the, of them, they start digging, uh, looking for any sign of corruption or negligence on Daniel's part. And it's almost a, a, just a basic fact of life in politics that there are people who love to see others fail, probably even a, a reality in much of our world in business uh, or in life. Um, we are competitive. We, we like to see others fail, or, or we have that, that because we want to be raised up. There are exceptions, but we live in a dog-eat-dog world where you need to be shrewd to arrive at the top. The major question in the book of Daniel comes out in uh, chapters 1 to 6 is, can we faithful, faithfully follow God in, in a foreign country? Uh, can we faithfully follow God as a, as a minority? Uh, it's rel- relevant to us living in, in a secular society uh, where popular values are very much in tension with the values of the kingdom of God. For the Israelites, they would say, you know, if only things were like they were when King David was in charge, when Solomon was in charge, then, then uh, we'd have, you know, this religious uh, empire. Uh, we could all worship God faithfully. But the, but the reality was when, when they had their own uh, Israelite kingdom, that's when they strayed from God. And, and so the challenge is, uh, we, you know, even today, we, we say, well, if, if things were like back in the 50s or the 60s when, when Christians were in the minority, then it would be easy. Uh, if only we could return to that. Babylonian values are centered around power and wealth, which breeds je- jealousy and envy, as we see in this chapter. Uh, the kingdom of God, as evidenced in Jesus' life, focuses on love. Uh, which is based around giving away power, giving away uh, life and service to others. So you have these conflicting values uh, between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. Uh, in each of the first six chapters of Daniel's book, they, they follow a real similar pattern, but it, in each of the chapters, Daniel and uh, his three friends, these four men, they face difficult tests of faith. They refuse to eat the royal meat and the wine that had been pillaged off the back of slaves. Uh, that had been offered to idols. They refused to bow down and worship the statue of gold and are thrown into Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. And then in chapter 6, with rivals conspiring for his downfall, downfall, Daniel's faith again is tested. Uh, What stood out to me in this chapter uh, was Daniel's pattern of prayer. Three times a day, we're told, morning, noon, and evening, he got down on his knees to give God thanks and to ask for help. Uh, Many places, as I was reading through uh, the book, many places we see that uh, God answered Daniel's prayer and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's prayer, uh, not just through rescuing them. You know, we like to cry out to God and ask for rescue when we're in trouble. When we're sick, we pray, Lord, make me well. When we're I uh, have bills to pay. We don't have the money. We say, Lord, rescue me out of this situation. And God certainly rescued them in times of trouble. Uh, but also he responded, God responds to Daniel's prayer by giving them wisdom, 
by giving them health and strength and understanding and, and uh, even giving them learning uh, so they could learn the Babylonian language and culture. Their wisdom and talents were gifts from God. God gave Daniel wisdom and decision-making, the ability to interpret dreams. How often do we uh, put our confidence in our own limited abilities as opposed to recognizing that God is a true giver of wisdom and talents? Uh, you know, it's easy to go to God. We'd go to God when we're in crisis. But uh, I think Daniel's story reminds us that, that even in, uh, when everything's well, that, that God can still help us. God is our helper and our strength. Uh, this this portion on on prayer, uh, this this uh, theme of prayer, I think spoke to me specifically because I've been reading a book recently called "Building Faith at Home" uh, by an Arthur Mark Holman. Uh, the author argues quite compellingly that the home, uh, not the church, is the primary place that faith formation takes place. Now I'm a pastor. I've dedicated my life. I work in the church, and so. You know, I, I, church has been important in my life, a place where, where uh, my faith has been nurtured. And so, you know, I have strong feelings about this church. But, but I agree with him uh, that, that the home is, he would even say, more important than the church. It's a primary, uh, sorry, it's primarily personal worship, personal prayer that shapes the heart of individuals not our church gatherings. Uh, so what he argues is, is that what we do at our church services, it shouldn't be focused on uh, helping us get our spiritual fix for the week, uh, but rather it should be about encouraging and enabling each of us to practice our faith day by day. Uh, he talks about, you know, he says there's, there's many different types of homes. There's, he identifies 28, or he, he talks about a, a USA Today article that identifies 28 different types of families, whether it's a single person, a person in a nursing home, uh, someone with kids, a, a married couple. So there's lots of different types of family, but, it, but it's relevant regardless of whether you have kids or whether you're a, a, just a, a single. Um, but, but he does pick up some stats, and he, and he says that this was a study done, I think, in the United States, but he says uh, it was on religious influences. And uh, it said that um, mom and dad, parents, are two to three times more influential on the faith formation of their children than any church program. Uh, so we have this idea uh, these days that, you know, I'll just send my kid to youth group, I'll send my child to children's ministry VBS camp, and that will take care of the faith component. That will, that will be my... But actually, what, what he says is that what happens in the home is that much more influential in the faith formation of children. The church programs, you know, they're, we don't want to say, well, let's cut those things. Let's, uh, but, but that's uh, what happens at home is more important. And the statistics that they give in the book uh, sadly show that the majority of Christians don't apply their faith to their everyday lives at home. They may come to church on a regular basis, but they don't talk about faith. They don't read the Bible at home. They don't do devotions as a family, have faith conversations, or pray together aside for quick prayers at mealtimes. The statistics given in the book are that fewer than 10% of Christian families worship together outside of a church service or pray together other than at mealtimes, or study the Bible together, or serve the disadvantaged together. 
Quite sobering numbers. No wonder we don't see God more at work in our lives, in our church, in our society. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken to Babylon as young men, uh, likely only in their teens. But somehow, even by that age, a, a practical faith had been planted in them that wasn't dependent just on corporate worship services. You know, when you leave Jerusalem and you go to Babylon, there's no more temple services or synagogue services or church services. And so their faith is sustained by a daily pattern of prayer. Uh, the author of Building Faith at Home, he argues that um, we're doing things wrong at church if we put all our time, our energy, and resources slowly, solely on what takes place in our services. Uh, since the statistics show that religious life at home is much more influential than any programs the church offers. The goal of our, our corporate gatherings, I think I said this, should be to encourage and enable us to practice our faith at home in our daily life. Uh, I, I wanted to confess that a routine of spiritual practices has not come easy to me. Uh, though I'm thankful I was raised in a Christian home that valued regular church participation, uh, we fit in with the majority of homes these days that did not have family worship times. We didn't pray or read scripture together. We didn't have family faith conversations. And I still struggle at times to, to uh, implement that and, and figure out how that works with, with uh, preschool kids and, and with uh, a schedule that changes from day to day uh, with uh, the lack of structure that uh, happens in our society where we're pulled to different events, where uh, schedules change from day to day, where we have commutes, all those different things. Uh, but I am growing ever more convinced that this is a primary need in, in my life and the church. Where did Daniel find the courage to stand up in his faith? Where did he find the wisdom to lead? It was through his consistent pattern of personal prayer. It was in the fact that he started and ended his days on his knees. Uh, another thing about Daniel's faith stood out to me in this chapter. Uh, when Daniel prayed, he didn't make a big ceremony about it. He went and he prayed in his own home. But he didn't hide his prayer either. The text tells us that Daniel prayed in the upper room of his house, uh, where the, the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Uh, you know, I'm not one for obnoxiously shoving our faith in other people's faces, uh, we were on vacation uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, we went to San Diego. We went to this place called Balboa Park. Uh, it's a historic area where they have um, a whole bunch of different museums. They have the Science World. They had a miniature train museum. They have art museums. And they have kind of a public square. It's older architecture, older buildings, really neat. Um, but what was I found somewhat humorous is they had all these uh, religious booths. So they had, uh, they had the Christian booths, and they're going around asking people if they're saved. And uh, they had the, the uh, atheist booth, or um, I don't remember what, what exactly they're called. And they had, uh, they had the Islamic one. They had all the different booths, and, and they would go around and proselytize. And, and uh, uh, I found the Christians actually were the most obnoxious when, when they came in. And... Uh, and uh, tried to convert me. 
Uh, so I'm not one for, for doing that in an obnoxious way. In a, in a, um, you know, I, I am a tolerant Canadian who, who believes in respect, uh, those kind of things. But there is something to be said about openly living out our faith, opening the windows, not showing off but not hiding either. Um, as I was reading and studying uh, this passage, I, I learned that this story was actually influential in the formation of a nonviolent resistant movement. Uh, in South Africa, uh, Gandhi used Daniel, was quite influenced by the book of Daniel in, in, uh, uh, as they protested the past laws, the immoral past laws in uh, South Africa. Uh, and Martin Luther King was incredibly influenced uh, uh, by, by Gandhi uh, in the, the, the fight of the uh, uh, African Americans to, to gain the rights in, in the United States. Uh, Daniel openly defies an unjust law with courage and confidence, and he's willing to bear the consequences. Uh, this past year in Canada, I'm sure many of us were interested. I was very interested in the uh, Quebec election, and specifically with the discussion around the secular charter. If you're following pol- politics, you're, you're quite familiar with uh, the secular charter that the provincial uh, PQs were champ- championing uh, this was a charter that would prohibit uh, employees who work in public institutions uh, from wearing religious clothing or items. And they had, uh, you, you probably saw the pictures of the turbans, the, the cross, the, the Jewish kippah or whatever uh, they call it, um, head coverings, uh, of course, the uh, Islamic nijab. Yeah, I hope got my pronunciation correct. Um, but I was, you know, I was reflecting as a, as a person of faith, uh, wondering whether we would have the, whether I would have the strength and courage to live out our faith if it became unpopular or illegal. And I, you know, obviously it's not a tenet of our faith that we wear a religious symbol, a cross, or a clerical collar. Um, but, but I, I thought, you know, if I was a minister in, uh, in Quebec, I might wear a, a clerical collar just to uh, <laughs> stand alongside uh, those who are, are suffering for, for their faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God in the furnace. Daniel was willing to face the lion's den. And of course, we know Jesus trusted the Father to the cross. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, were saved from their trial. Jesus uh, didn't have the same kind of rescue. The question is, does our faith stand under pressure? God has promised us his provision. God offers us his protection, and not always from rescuing us from trials, but by walking with us through trials. He offers us daily nourishment for our souls that we might stand in the hour of trial and not be defeated. Uh, The trials we face might not be the lion's den. Uh, It may simply be the strength to withstand temptation, uh, to endure a difficult uh, work environment or relationship. Um, It may be um, courage to respond to a situation of need, an emergency that that crosses our path. We're reminded and encouraged that God is our helper. What can man do to us? Let us not be afraid, but put our confidence and hope in our Heavenly Father.
Uh, I was thinking about our, our prayer time today, and, and we took an opportunity at camp. Um, and I learned a, a few things about, I don't know if it's camp or if it's kids. I was uh, um, trying to figure that out, but uh, a couple things you see about kids. One is um, uh, they, they have a, a freedom that us adults don't have, uh, a freedom of expression. Uh, that comes through both in their conversation, but even in their worship. And so um, they haven't been Canadianized enough, and so um, they're doing actions, making up actions to the song, dancing as we sing, and uh, that gets beaten out of us. Um, But they're also uh, very open in in sharing what God is doing in their life. Um, They're open in sharing about uh, some of the struggles they're facing, while we have uh, that uh, spirit of, um, I don't know, we have to prove that we're strong enough and, and independent enough, so we kind of try to say, I'll muster up uh, strength and I'll deal with this on my own. And uh, so we had a time, uh, at, at a service in, in, uh, at camp where we um, invited uh, people to share about the the lion's den or the furnace that they're facing and uh, and they actually came up front and <laughs> spoke into the mic and and uh, shared about some of the struggles that, that they were facing and we had different uh, cabin leaders pray for them but it was a, a powerful time and and uh, I think that the power in that um, as much as it is um, the prayer, uh, and the power that comes through prayer is also the the encouragement that brings to the community uh, when you hear someone share about their struggle and and we pray uh, for them uh, the others realize oh i 'm not alone. I thought I was the only one dealing with this. Um, we realize we have a resource in in the community of faith and also in uh, in god's god's uh, god 's abiding presence and, and god 's answer and so uh, I thought I'd give you a moment to reflect and and, um, and then give an opportunity at summer, and uh, my sermon's a little shorter, and so there's opportunity just to pray for one another. And uh, we hadn't really uh, worked through all the details of how this would work, but uh, I thought maybe just to give us time to reflect, I would invite the worship team co- to come and, and lead us in the next song. And... Um, and then invite an opportunity. If anyone does just want to share a prayer request, a need, a furnace you're facing, um, that that uh, we I would be uh, very glad and happy. We would be happy as a community to pray for you. Um, you don't have to give all the details. Uh, you're welcome to keep situations confidential uh, to protect identities. We probably definitely want to encourage uh, those kind of um, safeguards, and uh, but if you had some, anything that, that you say, yes, I, I'd like to be prayed for, we'd love to do that this morning. We don't do that often in our services, but uh, um, I always find those meaningful times. And uh, there, if no one has anything specific, we'll just pray in general for, for each of us.